0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, we have a bit of unfinished business from yesterday, before we begin the program today. Uh, received an email from one of my guests from yesterday, uh, talking about the uh, the protests and the riots, uh, Professor Maricela Martinez-Cola. Uh, she uh, points out that her colleague, Crescencio Lopez, has uh, generated a GoFundMe campaign for families at the JBS meatpacking plant who... Uh, in Hiram who are quarantined there's uh, been uh, cases of COVID out there and uh, families are quarantined Crescencio Lopez has generated a GoFundMe campaign and it's titled Family in Need Um, so uh, you can find that at GoFundMe or you can contact uh, Dr. Lopez or uh, Dr. Martinez-Cola, uh, for help for those families at JBS who are quarantined. Just wanted to get that word out to you for the program today. Welcome now to AXIS, Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A team from the University of Southern California has embarked on a 50-state tour to give cybersecurity training to poll workers and uh, state and local campaign staffers will be the last line of defense against Russian hacking in 2020. The group is called Election Cybersecurity Initiative. It views itself as a bottom-up grassroots counterpart to part, rather, to national-level election security efforts led by Department of Homeland Security in the wake of Russia's election interference in 2016. We're going to talk about election security, disinformation. We're going to be talking, I'm sure, about vote-by-mail, which has been much in the news, and uh, everything related to the elections, which are coming up fast Uh, Primary elections in Utah are are less than a month away now. And of course, the election is about five months away, Uh, general election. And uh, so uh, we bring in the executive director of the election cybersecurity initiative, Adam Clayton Powell III. Uh, Welcome to the program.
1: Good morning. Good. Thank you for having me.
0: Good, good morning. Appreciate you uh, being on with us. And we bring you on with us uh, USU professor of uh, political science, uh, Damon Kahn. Thanks for joining us.
2: Glad to be here, Tom. Thanks.
0: So uh, I'll turn to Adam Clinton-Powell III. Uh, just tell us briefly what uh, what this initiative uh, is and what you're seeking to do. Uh,
1: we believe we are the only independent, bipartisan initiative that uh originally our plan was to be on the ground in all 50 states that uh, had to change a couple of months ago and now we're doing uh, the remaining states in our list uh, virtually uh, including utah utah was one of the first we uh, wound up doing as an online program instead of returning to uh, salt lake so a lot of us were disappointed
0: yeah so so what it was to be uh in person but not for obvious reasons uh, has to be um uh by uh, electronic means, uh, is that that I guess that maybe illustrates some difficulties uh, <laughs> already difficult already had Russian uh, uh, interference attempt in 2016. Now we've got uh, we've got COVID and and many more complications perhaps for the elections coming up.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, elections under the best of circumstances are very very complicated things to uh, to, to hold. And now we have, uh, with the virus, uh, well, today's primary elections are an interesting, uh, 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 interesting illustration of that because you have uh, contests in, let's see, Indiana, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, all that were postponed from dates uh, back in April and May. Um, and uh, now uh, we're going to see far more uh, vote-by-mail, which means that uh, uh, the, the, the way you vote, sometimes where you vote, uh, when you vote, uh, how you register. Uh, these are all things that are changing in ways that we really haven't seen uh, in American history. And how election officials uh, deal with that, it's, it's really challenging. In our Utah program, we're, we're very bipartisan. We had uh, Senator Romney open our program in Utah, and then we had the uh, Utah Democratic Party chair and uh, mayor of Salt Lake City, both of whom were uh, Democrats. Um, but uh, what what we also try to do in each state is to have... Someone in charge of elections and in Utah—it was uh, Justin Lee—who was very much in the news the day that we that uh, uh, we were there on May 12th because uh, 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 of, of some changes that uh, he was describing. But these are very, very challenging. It's uh, it's a very, very complicated procedure, and as soon as you introduce this level of change and this level of uh, of, of uh, uh, and, and this number of changes. You're introducing the opportunity for adversaries, uh, uh, foreign and domestic, to uh, interfere with uh, disinformation, misinformation, hacking, and just trying to create confusion. Because That's their—that's really their major goal, is to create confusion and try to discredit democracy itself.
0: So I want to go back to 2016, uh, you know, to take off those layers that we'd, we'll put them on, back on later uh, that are complications from COVID. Um, what... And and this is the issue has been kind of clouded, um, including by President Trump, who doesn't want to uh, admit that uh, you know it, it would affect his legitimacy in his eyes. I think that uh, to admit that there was anything wrong with twenty sixteen elections, what uh, what did intelligence agencies determine happened in twenty sixteen What what were the kinds of things that the Russians were doing?
1: Well, it seems pretty clear that the, the main thing the Russians were doing was. Uh, uh, spending not that many resources to create a lot of uh, uh, confusion. And other countries have seen that. And so what we're facing now is a year and a half ago. uh, I mean, we've been working on this project uh, for uh, four or five years. A year and a half ago, the intelligence agencies were saying that there were 30 30 countries hacking into the United States. The new number is 70. Seventy countries are hacking into the United States. Uh, Why? Because it's uh, what Russia demonstrated in 2016 is for a little bit of money and a little bit of expertise, you can cause a lot of confusion. And uh, so that means that to defend against this, uh, it it requires a lot of vigilance, a lot of preparation. We work very closely with Homeland Security, with CISA, with uh, uh, the Defense Department, Secret Service and others to try to get the best practices that they have. And uh, we we used to hand them out as one-pagers uh, but now that we're uh, coming virtually what we do is we put up on the screen um, the here are the links that uh, you know take out your phone take a picture of these links and there's where you can download the one-pagers from homeland security and and, uh, and the others but um, uh, it, it, it requires a level of preparation uh, by states and, and local state and local election officials and state and local campaigns. Everybody who has a campaign is a target, uh, so they have to be vigilant. We had one person on in one of our uh, uh, sessions uh, who said that if you're running, especially if you're running statewide in any state in the United States, you are immediately a target from day one. You have to have your cybersecurity in place on day one because you're going to be hit on day one. Um, and it's it's uh, just new the new normal. Uh, uh,
0: do you think campaigns are, are, are taking more precautions these days?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they, uh, uh, they 2016 was a, a big wake-up call for everybody. And uh, campaigns, uh, we haven't found anybody who's not taking very, very seriously uh, the threats, uh, particularly from Russia, China, and Iran, but also from uh, the... You you can go down the list, uh, North Korea. In fact, I was asking uh, uh, David Sanger, the uh, intelligence correspondent of the New York Times. I said, what's an example of a small, relatively small country that we wouldn't think of attacking the United States? And he said, would you believe Bangladesh? I said, Bangladesh? Why Bangladesh? Why are they doing it? He said, because it's cheap and easy and they'd like to see, you know, they're going to look around and see what's going on in the United States and try to see what's going on in different elections. Um, and he said, look, you hire a couple, of, a couple of programmers in the Ukraine, they'll do it for you.
0: Hmm. So I guess uh, for bad actors, uh, at least from our perspective, you could hack a campaign, you sow a disinformation, I suppose, you could try to uh, hack the voting machines, uh, the, the actual machinery processes themselves.
1: Uh, hacking the voting machines uh, is interesting. The people at Homeland Security, there's one guy who uses the phrase, uh, return on investment, Hacking voting machines turns out to be not a very big return on investment uh, what, uh, for, for adversaries. Uh, if they can get access to uh, voter rolls, uh, if they can uh, uh, interfere with uh, registration, uh, that's, um, that's, that's easier and, and more productive. But it turns out the, the easiest thing to do is just to spread disinformation. And what Russia, China, and Iran are doing this year, they're using a couple of new techniques. One is a variation of something that actually goes back 70 years, what the old Soviet Union used to do, which is to cite other countries, uh, whereas what we're citing in other countries is actually their own propaganda. So now they're just doing it electronically with with, uh, social media. So the Russians will cite the Chinese, the Chinese will cite the Iranians, um, and it's all just the same propaganda. The other thing that's happening now is that to get around some of the safeguards that have been put in place since 2016, Russia is doing something which is which is called franchising. They're paying people in other countries, uh, a lot of African countries, but also paying people in the United States to post Russian propaganda. And uh, uh, so this circumvents a lot of our uh, legal and structural defenses against propaganda coming from outside the United States, Suddenly, we have to um, uh, have defenses against uh, and be aware of uh, the Russian and other propaganda being posted uh, inside the U.S.
0: Mm. Let me turn to Professor Ken. um You know, one thing we remark upon often uh, is that, the, you know, this is a vital, vital systems, voting system, election systems, and these are administered by... You know, in in one way, it's very proper, administered by states, administered by counties, or right? administered by local governments, but often underfunded.
2: Yes, uh, the uh, amount of resources available uh, to uh, to election officials can can at times be somewhat low. The uh, um, one of the you know things about our system that makes it somewhat um, more difficult to tamper with is that it is a very decentralized electoral system, uh, where uh, uh, where a lot of responsibility is placed in the hands not just of state election officials, but as you mentioned, even the the thousands of county clerks uh, across the United States uh, that have a role in in the electoral process as well. Um, the uh, Help of America Vote Act in 2002 uh provided some standards and guidance uh after the tumultuous 2000 election and the uh, issues in connection with counting votes there um, but uh um, uh but that was kind of a one-time injection of funds to help uh help states update and and to help counties update their election equipment and some of their practices and now that uh, the 2000 election is 20 years in the rearview mirror, the equipment and techniques, and, and to be honest, the technology uh, has changed. Uh, you know, the, the the money is gone and spent. The equipment's reached the end of its useful life, uh, and the technology has changed such that um, that folks are having to scramble to figure out how to come together and hold a high integrity election again on limited resources.
0: Mm. What, uh, Professor Ken, what are what are your concerns? Going, you know, fold in COVID again here. <laughs> we're running we're into in extraordinary times here.
2: Yeah, um, you know, some states have started to look at doing some more online uh, efforts at voting, uh, whether it's distributing ballots electronically, re- uh, returning ballots electronically, or, or both. Uh, and um, that's certainly something that... Um, uh, the, that that is remained highly uh, hackable uh, and and the the, the technology is not quite there yet. I think most folks are aware of that that and the risks. Um, uh, and we're We're a long ways off if we can ever get to the point where everyone just has a mobile voting app or something like that on their their phone. Um, but uh, uh, in internet voting, uh, while it, it has some allure for accessibility, is just not um, a high-integrity way to to run an election at this point in time. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the things, uh, you know, in terms of security, you worry about the voter file, uh, voter rolls. You worry about whether campaigns have sufficient security in terms of the things they're doing. Uh, and then, um, uh, but but you also worry about accessibility of the vote, Um uh, you, you We want to make it possible for people who want to exercise uh, their, um, their the right to vote to be able to do so. Uh, and that gets trickier in the in, in those of a pandemic. And, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to predict uh, where we'll be come November. And, and uh, certainly we have states right now that are trying to hold elections, and, and it, it's very complicated.
0: We'll turn back to Adam Clayton Powell, the third uh, election cybersecurity initiative at USC. Um I want to go back to the misinformation. You you've said that uh, you know return on investment it's it, it's uh, you know a lot easier to sow disinformation than it is to try to hack the the actual election uh, machinery. Um so what what's the theory here? What's uh you sow disinformation misinformation just try to spread chaos and confusion? Uh it, I get think reduction in the confidence in democracy is that is that the end goal.
1: Absolutely, and some of it is uh, really old fashioned. I mean, we, we've had uh, um, disinformation and misinformation in uh, political campaigns, oh, for, for, for decades, uh, centuries. Uh, it was always in the October surprise. I remember when I was uh, uh, running NPR News that late one October, somebody came in with a single, uh, single source story that uh, the Vice President of the United States, uh, who was running for reelection, was uh, had committed a felony. Um, seems a little suspicious um uh, another time uh, at cbs another uh, another one and we we look into them uh, uh, those stories usually don't pan out well now with social media you can plant those stories and they'll just go viral there was one analysis that was uh, released uh, yesterday that a twitter uh, a twitter account with three followers posted something which was outrageous outrageously false and um, uh, within minutes you have thousands and thousands of people repeating it, so mm-hmm. there's less of a defense, uh, as it were, about uh, um, uh, against um, disinformation and, and misinformation uh, than we used to have, and so it really comes to uh, it, it, almost to uh, media literacy as a as a as a major subject we have to deal with.
0: So is uh, you know Iran, uh, Russia, the, uh, Bangladesh <laughs> uh, who, who are acting in, in these are trying to act in the, the elections in terms of misinformation, uh, is, the, is the goal to elect one candidate over another or, or is it just so just so confusion?
1: Uh, mostly so confusion. Uh, I think that uh, uh, I, I, I think that everyone assumed in 2016 that uh, Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president. And, uh, uh, and uh, I'm sure that the, uh, the Russians were as surprised as anybody by the, uh, by the result. Uh, but uh, they, and it's not just the United States, uh, all, the, all democracies all over the world, Indonesia, India, the Ukraine, uh, France, Britain, they're all being hit. Uh, I mean, uh, Merkel, the uh, German leader, her email accounts were compromised about a month ago. And four years' worth of emails apparently were uh, were siphoned off. We, uh, the, uh, the Germans believe, by Russians. So, uh, so, this is something which is. These are attacks on on all democracies, uh, and uh, we just happen to be uh, the you know, biggest and most obvious.
0: Uh, Professor Ken, uh, I want to talk about something that's much talked about uh, today with COVID, and that is vote by mail. You've done, I think, a little bit of a study of this right?
2: Yes. Uh, So when uh, the state of Utah started to look at vote by mail, uh, I partnered with some colleagues at the University of Utah and Brigham Young University and worked together to um, produce an overview of uh, practices, uh, trends, and things for the state to be aware of as they started to move down that road. And uh, one of the things that we commend about uh, Utah's approach is, uh, that instead of jumping from, uh, what was, uh, very widely just a, an election day with some early voting, uh, system to a wholesale statewide, uh, uh um, vote by mail process, the state initially started, uh, by saying, okay, we'll allow counties that would like to, to do vote by mail and here are some guidelines and things to ensure that it's a safe and secure election administration and so uh as, you know by the time we get to the primary election here in this instance uh residents uh in most of utah have had some experience uh with voting by mail because you know gradually bit by bit different counties over the last uh you know, six eight years have been adding vote by mail as a feature of the things they're doing davis county has been doing this for a long time uh, Weber has been doing it for a while. Even Salt Lake County and Utah County were on, uh, on the vote by mail train, uh, by the 2018 election. And so, uh, that, that made it so Utah is, is much more prepared. um which is important. Uh, you, you think of vote by mail. Uh, If if you're imagining someone sitting in the the county clerk's office and running off photocopies of ballots on an office machine, stuffing them in envelopes and sending them out, there's much more to uh, a well-administered vote-by-mail election than that. Um, An election where someone's just uh, willy-nilly shipping out ballots uh, around the the county or around the state would not be a very secure way to conduct a vote-by-mail election. Uh, So we walked uh, through with the state, uh, reviewed things, uh, uh, good practices from other uh, jurisdictions that used it, and helped them uh, to recognize uh, the key parts of election security for a vote-by-mail election.
0: Are are vote-by-mail elections, are they generally secure or as secure as other systems?
2: Uh, When well-administered with appropriate protections, uh, vote-by-mail systems are a very secure uh way to run an election. Uh and and so and, and, and the security can rival or even exceed depending on the way a face to face election is administered, the security of those kinds of, of elections. Uh and there's we we know there are better and worse ways to run um election day face to face elections um uh and and things that you can do to improve the security of those kinds of elections and reduce fraud. Uh, we also know that there are better and worse ways to run vote by mail elections. And so, uh, you know, for example, uh, signature verification is, a, a, a very important part of running a high integrity, um, uh, election. And, uh, you know, our, our banks have used, uh, some, some, a mix of technologies as well as some, some human, uh, implemented signature verification techniques to, um, to review checks uh, uh for for very large dollar amounts uh for years now uh, and have been able to do so with a very uh high success rate um, and, and very low fraud we just bring some of those same technologies and techniques to bear on verifying signatures in um, in a vote by mail election uh on top of that uh you, there's, there's ballot tracking I, I want to be very careful. That, that when I use the term ballot tracking it sounds almost Orwellian, uh that, that suddenly everybody's going to know how you vote. Uh the ballot uh tracking uh is set to scan a barcode on the ballot. Uh it does not it scans whether the ballot has been received and counted. It does not track who you voted for. Uh so the uh, uh the, the um the privacy of the ballot and the voting process uh is uh, secured and maintained in the system. But uh if someone loses their ballot and someone else picks it up, you just call into the uh, uh the election office, ask for a new ballot, they cancel the old ballot so that even if someone else picks it up and tries to fraudulently submit it, it cannot be counted in the upcoming election. Uh um and so you uh some uh states have uh started to move even towards Uh, email alerts, uh, such that when your ballot is received and scanned, you, if you have an email address listed with your county clerk, uh, then they will actually send you an email that says, Hey, we received your ballot. This is just to confirm that you received it. And that's just another layer of protection, not, not quite as critical, but certainly a voter friendly thing to do. Um, as some jurisdictions move towards adopting more provisions to help people feel comfortable with the vote
1: by mail system.
0: And here's a key question that's being debated right now um, in, in terms of you know, whether a, one party or the other is going to support expanded access to vote-by-mail. Does uh, vote-by-mail, does the system favor one party over another?
2: You know, we've done uh, – there have been a, a wide variety of studies on this. Uh, Oregon was the earliest statewide adopter of vote-by-mail in the United States. Uh, there have been some studies out of Stanford, uh, looking at this, uh, recently with some vote by mail experiences in different parts of California. My colleagues and I looked at this issue in Utah and, uh, uh, the studies have consistently shown, uh, that there is no partisan advantage associated with this. It just makes it easier for people who already intended to vote, uh, to be able to, uh, to cast a ballot. And so, uh you see states that were voting democratic uh, or or counties that were voting democratic before vote by mail he switched to vote by mail and they're still voting democratic uh you look at states and or counties that were voting republican uh before vote by mail and they switched to vote by mail and they continue to be as republican as they ever were uh so uh the uh one one of the key myths of uh of uh vote by mail is that it uh um, that it uh, it uh favors one party or the other, and the evidence just doesn't support that assertion. Mm
0: -hmm. Adam Clegg-Powell III, Executive Director, Election Security and Information Project. Does does the project look at vote by mail? Is that one of the things that you're looking at as you go around?
1: Well, absolutely, but uh, the 50 states are all different, and uh, they really are the laboratories of democracy. Uh, And so what we try to do as we go from state to state is find... Uh, what are the best practices in that state? Uh, talking to the elections director, secretary of state, whoever, and then try to share that uh, with with other states. We uh, we are bipartisan. We are independent. We we don't say to states uh, that you should or shouldn't use a certain uh, technique, uh, whether it's vote by mail or vote in person, uh, or some combination of it. But what we do say is, if you're going to do it, and, and uh, the professor just just put it very well, if you're going to do vote by mail, there are secure ways of doing it, and then there are less secure ways of doing it. You want to do it the right way. And so uh, we actually have copied some of the things that uh, are being done in Utah. And uh, I, I must confess that up until uh, this, this broadcast, I didn't realize that uh, – um, uh, somebody across campus at USC was actually involved in the Utah vote by mail uh, um, uh, security efforts because uh, we were citing some work that uh, not only uh, uh, your election director uh, Lee was doing, but maybe some advice that uh, you were getting from right across campus. Very interesting. But um, so, uh, but we do say for those who are trying to experiment with uh, internet voting that uh, that technology really is not there yet. Uh, West Virginia uh, used it for overseas uh, military, uh, but it, it's uh, it, it's really not not secure yet.
0: Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have more on elections and cybersecurity, elections and COVID. Uh, be very interesting this year uh, with not only Russia but other uh, states. And uh, and actors uh, trying to sow disinformation, misinformation, reduce uh, confidence in the outcome of the elections. Um, And by the way, how do we how do we handle um, voting during covid? Wisconsin was a was a stark example of of some of the problems in their recent uh, primary elections. Um, we'll have more on this, and we're talking with Damon Can, professor of political science at uh, Utah State University, and Adam Clayton Powell III, who's executive director of the Election Security and Information Project at University of Southern California. You're welcome to join this conversation. You can email us to upraccess at gmail dot com, at gmail dot com, at gmail dot com. Love to hear what your concerns are with regard to voting. Uh, in this election year,
2: upraccess@gmail.com. at gmail.com. More following this.
0: Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking about elections 2020, specifically election security. Um, how do we protect our election system? And uh, how do we vote safely during a time of pandemic? These and related topics. We're talking with Adam Clayton Powell the Third, who is Executive Director of the Election Security and Information Project at the University of Southern California, uh, they were conducting in-person training sessions for campaigns and election officials uh, around the states. Now, in, uh, as the pandemic's heated up, they're doing that electronically, but continuing those trainings. Uh, we are also talking with uh, Professor of Political Science at USU, Damon Can. You're welcome to join this conversation. I'd love to know what your concerns are about uh, voting, about these elections, 2020, uh, you can email us to upraccess at gmail dot com. at uh, gmail dot com. So, Adam Clayton Powell the Third, um, you, you said you, as you go around to the states, you're looking at best practices and sharing those with with other states. What what are the, some of the top, you know, top of mind? What are some of the best practices you're finding?
1: Well, for those that are using paper ballots, um, New Hampshire is. Uh, uh, pretty secure. I should I should back up and clarify something. In in each state, we also tried to um, uh, be a, be a partner with uh, uh, state universities. And so, uh, uh, Professor Ken is with uh, uh, one of the universities that we partnered with in Utah. We, we also have uh, outstanding media partners. Our national media partners, the Associated Press in Utah, it was the uh, Salt Lake Tribune. So the editor was very active in our project. But in uh, uh, but to get to your question, in New Hampshire. Uh, they do something which is very old school. Uh, They use paper ballots. The voter marks the paper ballots. Paper ballots are then collected, and armed state police take the ballots to a central um, collection point where uh, where they are uh, guarded uh, securely for any recounts. Now, that's one thing you can do in a relatively compact state. Um, Once you get into the western states, uh, Utah, Montana, uh, uh, Dakotas—the uh, distances are just uh, much greater, and so you have. Uh, and so, Western states, for example, have uh, more uh, uh, more practice and uh, and and more experience with uh, vote by mail because people have been doing it. Uh, uh, in uh, uh, it, it's relatively. Uh, easy, it, it, it's relatively well, not easy. It's it's easier for a state, and I'll just one, Montana, where uh, they've already had 60, 70% of people voting by mail uh, in the past, uh, to scale up to something close to 100%. You get some of the eastern states where they've only had 8, 9, 10% uh, voting by mail. Scaling up to even 50% is a real, is a real challenge. It's going to take people, it's going to take training. Um uh many of the states don't have the optical scanning equipment uh, to count votes quickly and uh and so what one of the things that we're telling um, uh, everybody is that as they change the the more change that's involved uh, such as going from eight percent vote by mail to fifty percent vote by mail, that is going to slow things down um, uh, in the uh, voting process and it's really going to slow things down. Uh, on election night, because it just takes longer to count. So, one of the things that uh, we, we really need to make make certain that voters understand is that on Tuesday night, uh, first Tuesday in November, uh, when we're voting for president, we we probably will not have a good, solid um, um, idea of who has won many of the swing states. Um, until the next day, or maybe even the end of the week, and that's something new for uh, for our democracy. Yes, we had the Florida recount in 2000, but this may be the new normal that we cannot um, uh, we cannot have enough election returns on election night uh, to really know uh, who has won. We I mean, we saw cases in congressional districts in uh, Orange County, California, uh, where the results weren't known for several days after the. Uh, after the election, that's something different for us. We're used to uh, knowing, uh, uh, certainly by nine or ten o'clock uh, on election night, we have a pretty good idea of, of um, who's going to be the next president. And uh, when we know that uh, the uh, the traditional swing states, Florida, Wisconsin, uh, now Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, they they may not have a definitive uh, result in the presidential race until just Wednesday or Thursday, maybe not until Friday or Saturday. That's something new for us.
0: Yeah, uh, new and uh, I guess potentially problematic, right? People are used to having the results, and if there's a delay, uh, you know, the opportunity for confusion and uh, doubt.
1: There, there are consultants in the United States who go around overseas. We saw this in the Indonesian election, in the Ind- Indian election, um, in the Ukraine. American consultants would... Uh, Sell their services to the losing candidate to help discredit the election.
0: Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you think there's danger of that coming to our shores?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if uh, uh, if the if the election is not decided for days, the opportunity for disinformation, uh, and, and this is just the sort of thing that that Russia and China and Iran would. would would um, uh, would really jump in and take advantage uh, of the situation by spreading um, uh, untrue stories of, of voter fraud, um, uh, of, uh, of, of, of of vote suppression, which is sort of the flip side of that, uh, to try to discredit the, the, the result, regardless of who who wins.
0: Mm. I want to ask a similar question from uh, Professor Can. Uh, so. It, a lot of our democracy a lot of what makes it work the the lubricant uh, are norms right and we we we've, we've seen not mentioning any names we've seen <laughs> we've seen some of these norms uh, called into question the last few years um one of those norms is that the losing candidate the apparent losing candidate concedes um and i suppose you know that's just one example of uh, if if a losing candidate refuses to do that then than problems that perhaps we have not had before.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, uh, so much, like so many other things in our society, trust is a key foundation and uh, perceptions of legitimacy of institutions is something that I've spent a lot of time working on uh, to some extent in the, the voting arena, uh, as well as, as looking at the legitimacy of courts and, and the justice system as well. Uh, but it's a central piece of, of what's going on in, in voting, uh, because if people don't feel like their vote was counted as they intended, uh, then the, the mechanism that we have for perpetuating the legitimacy of our system, the consent of the governed, people give their consent to be governed by participating in the election and voting, they don't feel like they really had a fair shot at participating. It becomes much more difficult for people to perceive um, uh, whoever wins the election as, uh, as being legitimate and, and rightfully exercising the power of government. We've seen some tides of discontent brewing uh, in the U.S. over the last 20 years, um, uh, people of both parties, uh, have objected to different election outcomes, saying they don't feel like it's fair. They feel like they don't want to, uh, listen to or, or support, uh, the, the candidate who won. Um, you know, it, 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 we, we saw some movements coming out of the 2000 election, uh, of, of people saying that George Bush wasn't their president, uh, because he didn't win the popular vote. Uh, in, uh, the 2008 election, we saw the Tea Party movement and even some racial uh, overtones, uh, coming out in, in some of the questions about whether Barack Obama had been born in the United States and when demanding to produce, that he produce a birth certificate. Uh, and, and uh, again with Donald Trump, uh, one of the interesting things, we had some surveys in the field in 2016, um, going into the 2016 presidential election, Republicans were saying that they were, uh, very concerned that their votes would not be counted as intended. Because they uh, and, and and the best rationale we could come up with for that is that they were worried that Trump was going to lose the election. And the interesting thing is that we had a post-election survey out as well, where we found that after the election result was known and we knew that Donald Trump had won the election. Uh, by, by winning uh, the Electoral College vote, uh, suddenly it was Democrats who felt like their votes were not counted as intended, and Republicans were very confident that their votes were counted as they intended. And um, that's uh, that's neither a commentary on, on Democrats nor Republicans, but it, well, what worries me about that is if people are getting to the point where they assume that their vote was only counted correctly if the candidate that they voted for was the one who uh, won the election, then we're uh, heading into dangerous territory. Um, We need to work to restore and maintain uh, our our, uh, uh, legitimacy of our institutions, and I think that that really starts at the top with candidates, because when candidates go out and start messing around and saying, uh, sowing doubt about the integrity of the election system, uh, then that uh, takes us down a, a difficult and dangerous road.
0: I want to get your thoughts on this, Adam Clinton-Powell. Um, this, a lot of this does rest on confidence, doesn't it? That's why I guess we are so vulnerable to disinformation, misinformation.
1: Yes, if you go back uh, um, not, that, not, not that long ago, People didn't really think about elections very much. It's something. Uh, in fact, the uh, election director in New Jersey has a great line. He said that basically, election workers are like Santa Claus. Uh, uh, you see them once a year, but meanwhile, they spend the rest of the year preparing for that day. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, it, it's people didn't think very much about it. Uh, occasionally, there'd be something like the Florida recount, but uh, basically, people assume that uh, uh, you you show up. Most people showed up at the polls. They vote. Um, uh, go home and uh, and find out who won. Uh, now we have a, a polarization in the United States, which is um, uh, beyond a healthy point. I think that we would agree, um, and the result is that, uh, as the professor said, we are heading into some very dangerous territory. If you begin to doubt the uh, uh, the integrity. Of the democratic process, I mean, the slogan of our 50 state program is uh, um, "Our candidate is democracy," and that's because uh, two of our advisors uh, actually run national presidential campaigns: Mike Murphy, who ran uh, Jeb Bush's campaign in 2016, and, and many other Republican campaigns, and uh, Bob Schrum, who ran uh, Kerry's campaign in 04 uh, and many other Democratic campaigns. And so, we met uh, with them last fall as we were starting to think about the 50 state effort. And I said, you know, we're running, we're just like a presidential campaign. We're running a 50 state campaign. And Mike Murphy said, well, "Come on, Adam. No presidential campaign is 50 states anymore. The last person who tried that was Richard Nixon in 1960. Uh, look what happened to him." You know, oh, okay. Well, uh, we're a 50 state campaign without a candidate. And Trump leaned forward and said, "Adam, you're wrong. Your candidate is democracy." I said, "Oh, I'm going to steal that line with credit." <laughs> uh, so that's that's our uh, so that's our slogan because. Uh, uh, that's that's who we want to see win, and we think that's really what's in, in danger.
0: By the way, you you're, you're you know as you've been going out in person now electronically, uh, and in proceeding with this initiative, this project, do you feel more or less hopeful about about the state of democracy? Um, more
1: uh, more hopeful uh, because uh in every state and let's see this is uh June 2nd so next week we will have finished 25 states um and in every state without exception uh the people who are running uh the elections at the state and local level people who are running campaigns at the state and local level they understand what 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 is happening they know the stakes um and and they are everybody is taking this very, very seriously. I mean, In New Hampshire, uh, we had 246 people in our New Hampshire uh, workshop last week. And the state of New Hampshire actually gave more than 100 of them uh, official credit. Uh, uh, local election workers in New Hampshire are required to have cybersecurity training. And they actually gave more than 100 people credit toward their... Required cybersecurity training for taking part in our workshop, and that's that's uh, that's unusual. That, ha- that hasn't ha- that has not happened in any other state. But that's an example of the seriousness that everybody now uh, has uh, uh, seeing what's happening. Uh, seeing um, uh, again, anybody running, especially a statewide campaign or statewide uh, uh, election uh, election department. You are seeing every day that you're being hit with with cyber attacks every day Um, and you talk to people who are uh, running you know the the national uh, uh, Senate uh, campaigns Republicans and Democrats uh, and and they'll say that if they're seeing thousands of attacks uh, cyber attacks everybody knows it's happening everybody knows that it's essential and uh, that that security is essential and when we decided uh, on, on what our workshops would cover, um, uh, and we did it uh, consulting with people who run national, state, and local campaigns, and state and local election workers, going back uh, for three years, we worked with the National Governors Association on election uh, cybersecurity. And um, we were told, begin with the basics, basic cyber safety and cybersecurity, because you can't emphasize the basics enough. And so we start with the, the, the real basics, two-factor authentication, um, uh, and, and you sort of build up from there because uh, uh, we know what happens if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't have the basics in place. You are really vulnerable, and everybody gets that now. So that's been encouraging. The other is to see the level of professionalism uh, in every state, large and small, uh, it, it, it's really been uh, it, 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 it's really been both a learning experience for us, but also really encouraging.
0: I want to uh, we're we're down to the last few minutes of the program. I want to uh, continue with uh, uh, maybe some solutions? And uh, Adam Klein Powell has just uh, outlined a few. Uh, before we go back to you, uh, Mr. Powell, uh, Damon can. Um, What's top of mind for you as we look to the election and and how to hold successful elections in in twenty twenty? Uh,
2: you know, I think uh, it, it's important for us to continue to monitor uh, election confidence uh, uh, among citizens. That's something that I'm I'm, I'm really concerned about. Uh, and uh, one one thing that I w- would love to see some states explore. Uh, is in issues where we know that experience, uh, is, uh, a great educator, uh, and, um, and, and giving people some experience, uh, where they get a chance to see some aspects of the electoral process, maybe as election observers or things of that nature, uh, could be very helpful. I think as folks come to better understand what, uh, what, uh, Mr. Powell recognized earlier that uh um the the these election officials are hard working honest, straightforward folks who are just trying to do the right thing. then I think that could go a long way uh the other thing i don't know quite what the solution is and and uh, uh but i we' are excited to hear uh ideas that uh um Mr. Powell might have on this, but I'm really worried about the bots uh they're they're out there sowing discord uh uh sowing disinformation around the country. And then when it gets shared, people don't think that they're learning this from a Russian bot. They think they're learning it from their neighbor, their friend, someone that they have, a trusted person they have uh, political conversations with. And uh, we, we need to find uh, some better ways to fight against these disinformation uh, campaigns. Uh, I, I'd say those are kind of my top two uh, for trying to improve our, our confidence in the election security process.
0: Well, let's start, Mr. Powell. What about the bots?
1: Oh, I, I would endorse both of Professor Kahn's recommendations. I told my colleagues at USC, uh, uh, Emilio Ferraro wrote the first peer-reviewed paper on uh, malicious bots in elections, and uh, he told me it, it took months and months to get uh, people to believe it. This was back in 2015, 2016, because uh, uh, people people didn't didn't see it didn't see them there. Uh, um, and this year, he's working on um uh, bots and uh, uh and uh, the covid virus and disinformation um and identifying where they come where they come from um uh some of them uh there's one that uh, seems to be uh, uh, source of seems to be north korea uh, uh another one of course uh, russia china or are, 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 are very uh, are, are, pract- are practiced at this uh but uh, uh but watching uh, again a relatively inexpensive technology which can be incredibly destructive i mean some people in uh, in washington dc uh, call it the perfect weapon it's cheap and destructive
0: uh just a couple of minutes left uh, mr Powell. I'd, I'd like to hear again you talked briefly about this earlier in the program uh, Of course you talked about uh securing campaigns and such against hacking um but but this larger problem of misinformation, disinformation, how do we protect ourselves against that? You mentioned media literacy. Is that is that bottom line? We've just got to ramp up education media literacy? Uh,
1: that's something which just keeps coming up over and over again, uh, that that uh, if you get information on, on, on social media, it's a classic case because it, it spreads so quickly, uh, just take a couple of seconds to – uh, look at where it really comes from. What's the source? Um, uh, d- does it come from a reputable um, journalistic organization? Does it come from a uh, a, a respected university uh, 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 researcher? Um, or can't you? If you can't find the source at all, that's sort of a that's the that's the beginning of a of a at least a yellow flag. Uh, but people share things. Uh, especially things with which they agree, uh, without checking very carefully uh, about whether they're true. And so you can see how in seconds uh, something was shared. There's a classic that uh, someone had, had spread an untrue story uh, that then-President Obama had been injured in a uh, uh, an explosion at the White House. That spread in seconds, even though the Associated Press came out and said it's not true, uh, the... Uh, uh, the stock market lost hundreds of uh, uh, billions of dollars in uh, in value uh, in in just minutes. Now, it came back, but it just shows that these the, the spreading of disinformation can have real-world consequences that are quite severe.
0: Uh, so, at, at the very end of the program here, uh, I want to give a personal note. This is from Steve. He's emailed in. He says, if it's convenient, please tell your guest, Mr. Powell. That one of your listeners is a friend of his father's successor in Congress, Charles Rangel. Jack Cusack, my late <laughs> uncle in Washington, was chief of staff to Charlie Rangel's congressional committee, and Jack and my aunt Mary were social friends of Charlie's wife Alma. And by small wo- small world coincidence, I was an active Democrat on the upper, upper West Side of Manhattan. Occasionally, the Rangel's were guests in my apartment at four forty four Central Park West. Rangel's committee uh, staff attorney also lived in that building. Follow that under small world, right?
1: Charlie Wrangell has uh, um, uh, uh, become a friend, and uh, he he calls me every now and then when uh, when he sees something he was very upset by a TV show, and he called me three times saying something should be done about this TV show. Char <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie's a, a great character, and, uh, and of course, is a powerful committee chair.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So
1: yeah. Uh, and Charlie used to say that uh, that congressional district was the most stable district in the United States because from 1944 until Charlie retired there were only two members of Congress my father and then Charlie
0: yeah that's, that's certainly certainly true well uh, th- we've reached the end of our time uh, Adam Clayton Powell III Executive Director of Election Security and Information Project at USC has uh, been one of our guests you can find them at electionsecurity.usc.edu thanks so much thank you and uh, Damon Can, Professor of Political Science at USU has been our other guest thank you so much
2: thanks for having me Tom
0: And thanks for listening to Access Utah.